I hope you'll get as excited as you can. If you have your Bibles, open up with me to Psalm chapter 8. Come on. Amen. We get excited to be in the Word here at The View. Now, Psalm chapter 8. Now, as we look in Scripture at what we just sang, right, the idea that Mallory and Gavin did such a great job sharing, and Gavin didn't trip on the the stairs. I was worried about that for a minute. The idea... The idea of the series lifted, right? The idea is for six weeks, we're going to take six worship songs. We're going to worship to them. We're going to break down the lyrics. But most importantly, we're going to find where these worship songs come from in Scripture. What do they mean to our lives? Now, you guys, especially if you have been in church longer than I have, it is so tempting to uh, sing a song and not think at all about what you're singing. Have you been there? Right? Like, it's very easy to go through the motions, to sing something, but your mind be elsewhere. Or to sing out a lyric that you don't truly understand. I remember when I first got saved, we used to do the song, Worthy is the Lamb. I tell you guys, I I didn't grow up in church. I had no idea what I was singing. (laughs) I didn't know why we were singing about a lamb or why he was worthy. It was weird for me trying to understand what the purpose of this was. And then you go to scripture and you start seeing the significance of Jesus being, right, the sacrificial lamb. You start realizing like, wow, I am singing out a really sacred (laughs) truth here to God. And so our generation, we largely are are worshiping and we're singing out songs and praise the Lord for that. My challenge in this series is, do we know what we're singing? And does our heart have a posture of true worship? And so if you're taking notes, I hope you will, write this down. The first song is the one we just sang, and that is, So Will I. That is, So Will I. Now, as we start this series, I want to define what worship is biblically? Is it just about a band? Is it just about holding our hands up, right? And if you are somebody in here who you might not be a Christian, worship might be weird to you. It was weird to me when I was 20 years old and not a Christian, right? I would come into a place like this when I was your age, about 20 years old, and I would see people with their hands up, and I thought it was weird. I'll just be honest. I didn't understand. I wanted to get why people were singing, right? I used to think, man, everybody in here is singing out to God, but they have problems, and they aren't perfect. And I was like, man, but they come in here, and they lift their hands, and I didn't realize that This place, the church, as our pastor said yesterday, is not a museum for saints, it's a hospital for the sick, amen? That like we are all broken in here and we hold our hands, we sing with a posture posture of our heart to God in a way that he is the one who is giving us a chance on this earth. He is the one who died for our sins and rose again so that we have hope. So no matter who is broken, no matter how bad you are down, we have hope because of Christ, every single one of us, right? And so what is worship biblically? Like you are currently at a worship service. Like we are here to worship one person, not a speaker, not a building, to worship Jesus. So what is worship biblically? Like where you are right now, the purpose of all this, I want to give you the definition. Here it is. It'll be on the screen. The most common words translated worship in the Bible mean to kneel or lay face down before someone as an act of reverence. You can take a picture, you can write this down, whatever you need to do. The most common words translated worship mean to kneel or lay face down before someone as an act of reverence. It's visual. And this definition comes straight from Scripture. I'll give you this verse, Psalm 95, verse 6 says this, Come, let's worship and bow down. Let's kneel before the Lord, our Maker. Right? At 21 years old, I came to a place in my life where I realized the gospel was true. I realized I needed Jesus Christ. He didn't need me, but he wanted me really badly. And I needed him. 
And when I realized what he had done for me, right, if you're a believer, when you've realized what Jesus has done for you and how great of a gift salvation is, we want to kneel before the Lord because he is that good. We don't kneel before any man or woman. We don't kneel before an organization or a church. We kneel before God Almighty only. Amen? When you realize how precious Jesus is, you want to fall on your face. You want to worship him. You want to make much of his name. Now, with our generation, or for most of you, should I say your generation, because I'm a millennial, a lot of us in the room are Gen Z, Millennials and Gen Z have a big thing in common when it comes to worship, and that's that we want real. We want raw. We want honest, right? All right, the generation that's coming up is not impressed with the lights. They're not impressed with the fog machines. They're not impressed with the grand gestures. Our generation, I truly believe yours and mine, is craving something real, authentic, and wholesome, and genuine. And I say that because a lot of times when you come into a church service or a worship service, the focus is on the external, Right? The posture of your body, holding your hands high, lifting them up, right, singing out to the Lord. And that's incredible. But what I want to pose to you before we come to Psalm 8 is that the most important part of worship is not the posture necessarily of your body, but it's the posture of your heart. The posture of what is happening on the inside of you. See, because we can fake a lot of things externally. We can hold our hands high. We can even lay face down on the ground and still miss God right here. You know what I'm talking about. If you've ever been in church, you know what it's like to go through the motions. And what I want to tell you is that the posture of your body must follow the posture of your heart. See, when your heart's lifted to God, you want to lift your hands to God. I wrote this down in my notes. I think it's very true. It's special in a room when hands are lifted to God, but it's a lot more special in a room when hearts are lifted to God. I talk to so many college students every week. I love it. It's a blessing. And I get to hear their testimonies. I get to hear what they're walking through, what you're going through. I can't tell you how many times I've heard this testimony right here. It's one of my best friend's testimonies. I hear college students say all the time, and I just got tired of playing church. I got tired of being a Christian on Sunday and Monday and then living a whole separate life the rest of the week. I got tired of being a Christian at church or around my family and then being whoever I wanted to be or felt like being when I got around my friends who weren't in church. I've heard so many testimonies like that, and I believe it's because our generation is craving something real, something genuine. We want to be the same 24-7. We want to be one, and the only way you can find your identity is by being rooted in Christ. So what did Jesus say about worship? He said this in John chapter 4, verse 24. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. So before we even look at so will I, let's understand tonight that when it comes to worship, Jesus says we must worship in spirit and in truth. To worship in spirit quite literally means that when you are a believer in Christ, you have been bought, you have been paid for, and you have the Holy Spirit living inside of your body, which means you have a supernatural guidance. You have a supernatural person living in you. That is God, the Holy Spirit, leading and guiding you. That there is no true worship to the Lord if you are not directly connected to his spirit. That means God is on your mind. That means God is on your heart. That means you're connected with him. You're talking to him. And guess what? He's talking to you. That our worship is truly supernatural because we're connected to a supernatural God. Which means you don't just lift your hands for somebody else to see you. 
You lift your hands because there's a supernatural work happening within you, and that's God molding you, sanctifying you, and making you more like Jesus. Anytime you get convicted over that sin that you seem to can't break, that's God. That's God's Holy Spirit moving within your heart, calling you out of that sin that you know is just killing your soul and weighing you down. You've been there. I've been there. Let's be real. Let's be honest. But then he says, worship in truth which is so important because that means you and I can't just walk around saying, man, praise God. I love that he lets me do whatever I want to do as long as it makes me happy, right? That's not a fact. That's not true. God is not pleased with you doing just whatever you want to do because sin is often pleasurable, but sin leads to what? Death, which means God is not honored when you and I are living in sin, which means we don't just walk around saying, oh, I praise God because he lets me do whatever I want to do. No, We worship in truth. Some of those lyrics we sang out, right? If all of creation obeys you, so will I. That's something we sing out, Brie, because it's factual, it's true. That there is great, great blessings when we obey. Jesus said to worship in spirit and in truth. Now, what I would like to do is, I hope that we can, I would like to put the lyrics to that song, So Will I, up on the screen. And I want to take a look at these, really what we just sang, right? So you're here. These words probably in some form or fashion came out of your mouth. Did you think about what you were singing? Was it true to you? Was it something that really changed you? Did you think about it all or was your mind on, and it's fine if, it's, if that was the case, I've been there, but was your mind on tomorrow? Was it on yesterday or was it on worrying? Were you just singing out to sing out and then do you believe it? So let's look at these lyrics and then we're going to look at Psalm 8. What we just sang starts off by saying, God of creation, there at the start, before the beginning of time. Somebody asked me if I was going to sing these. I said, I would not hurt your eardrums in that way. So I won't. But I would if I wanted to. With no point of reference, you spoke to the dark and fleshed out the wonder of light. And as you speak, A hundred billion galaxies are born. In the vapor of your breath, the planets form. If the stars were made to worship, so will I. I can see your heart in everything you've made. Do you believe that? Do you believe when you walk around our world that you see God's heart in all of creation because since he created it, his heart is in it? All of creation, the birds of the sky, the stars, your fellow neighbors. Every burning star, a signal fire of grace. If creation sings your praises, so will I. God of your promise, you don't speak in vain. No syllable empty or void. For once you have spoken, all nature and science follow the sound of your voice. As you speak, a hundred billion creatures catch your breath evolving in pursuit of what you said. If it all reveals your nature, so will I. I can see your heart in everything you say, every painted sky, a canvas of your grace. If creation still obeys you, so will I. I had a friend a few years ago who gave his life to the Lord looking at the sunset because as he sat there looking at the sunset, He just couldn't convince himself that that sunset, that painted sky, happened by chance. 
He saw the work of somebody's paintbrush. <laughs> That's God. Isn't it funny how, how many times we literally go to church and we worship and sing, but we never look at what we sing? If the stars were made to worship, so will I. If the mountains bow in reverence, so will I. If the oceans roar your greatness, so will I. For if everything exists to lift you high, so will I. If the wind goes where you send it, so will I. If the rocks cry out in silence, so will I. Two incredible verses right there. And there's a lot of scripture that this comes from. But often in scripture, the Holy Spirit is described as the wind. That God's Spirit goes where it pleases. If you remember in Genesis, the Spirit was hovering over the water. And then the rocks cry out in silence. The rocks obey God. When Moses struck the rock, water came from it. They obey. If the sum of all our praises still fall shy, then we'll sing again a hundred billion times. God of salvation, is he that to you? If you're in the room and you don't know Jesus, is he the God of salvation? Have you trusted him with your soul? Trusted him. Not a church, not a building, not a speaker. Have you trusted God Almighty with your soul because you can't save yourself? You know your life has problems. You know that you have problems. I do too. Do you have a savior? A living one. Not a statue. Not a culture because that culture is going to change. I love Nike. Nike didn't die on the cross for my soul. I'm honest with you. I love musical artists. I love musical bands. They didn't die on the cross for my soul. I love my friends. I love my family. My friend group didn't die on the cross for my soul. They didn't. I love, I love Dakota, and he's not here tonight, but Dakota couldn't pay the price for my sins. He couldn't pay for his own. Jesus did. God of salvation, you chased down my heart. Through all of my failure and pride, on a hill you created, the light of the world, abandoned in darkness to die. And as you speak, a hundred billion failures disappear. Where you lost your life, so I could find it here. If you left the grave behind you, so will I. Amen? I can see your heart in everything you've done. Every part designed in a work of art called love. If you gladly chose surrender, so will I. I can see your heart eight billion different ways. Every precious one. A child you died to save. If you gave your life to love them, so will I like you would again a hundred billion times. But what measure could amount to your desire? You're the one who never leaves the one behind. Now let's look at Psalm chapter 8. A small piece of scripture where this song draws inspiration from. The truth of God's word says this. The Psalm of David in Psalm 8 says, verse 1, Lord, our Lord, this is God's word now. This is not worship lyrics. This is his word. Lord, our Lord. How magnificent is your name throughout the earth. You have covered the heavens with your majesty. From the mouths of infants and nursing babies, you have established a stronghold on account of your adversaries in order to silence the enemy and the avenger. When I observe your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you set in place, verse 4, look at this, what is a human being? What is a human being that you remember him? A son of man that you look after him. You made him little less than God and crowned him with glory and honor. You made him ruler over the works of your hands. You put everything under his feet. All the sheep and oxen as well as the animals in the wild, the birds of the sky, and the fish of the sea that pass through the currents 
of the seas. Lord, our Lord, how magnificent is your name throughout the earth. Let me give you this. Number one, the story that our universe is telling. Let's stop here for a minute and let's talk about this idea from this song and from this text. Number one, if you're taking notes, the story that our universe is telling. There's a revelation happening all around us, right? Something is being revealed to us, to all people. All people live in the world. All people have this revelation being made to us. Everybody can look up at the sky. They can hear the birds. We can touch what's around us. We have senses, and our senses are leading us to a story. They're leading us to a revelation that we have to understand. I used to be an undergrad student. I'm now a master's student. As college students, we are often very opinionated. Amen? Listen, I love college students, but man, people in college, they get to college, and all of a sudden, we got opinions about life. We got opinions about purpose. We got opinions about degrees, and we got opinions on March Madness we can't wait to share. We got opinions. We are opinionated people, man. It's true. I'm opinionated. I already know I am. Like, we are opinionated people. And I've talked to people at University of Memphis campus over the years that I've been doing ministry. And one of the conversations that I remember having was about miracles, right? And if you're a follower of Christ, like if you believe in God's word, then you have to believe in miracles. There's no way to believe in Jesus and not believe in miracles because of what we see in Scripture and what has been made true in our own life. But I remember having a conversation with a college student in the university center. This was back in 2018. And I had a conversation with him. And I asked him straight up. I said, man, do you believe in miracles? And he said, no. Said, I don't believe in miracles. And some of us in this room may say the same thing. Like, I believe in just only what I can see. I don't believe in miracles. And to that student, I remember saying what I want to tell you tonight that I believe is very important for our worship. Now, it all comes back to perspective. Do you remember in Genesis chapter 1, the first recorded words from God? Do you remember? Right? The first words in Genesis are, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. But what is the first thing God said? It's four words. Let me show you. Let's look. Genesis chapter 1 says this. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness covered the surface of the watery depths, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. Here it is. Verse 3. Then God said, let's say it together. Here we go. Let there be light. We can do a little bit better than that. Come on. Here we go. One, two, three. Let there be light. Ah, Come on, man. We can do better than that. We're reading God's word here. Let's do it together. One, two, three. Let there be light. Woo! And look what happened. Ooh, there was light. Miracle. Then God said, let there be light. And when God says something's going to happen, guess what happens? It happens. Don't you love it? Let there be light and there was light. What I want to pose to you is that everything we see from light is a miracle in and of itself. Now, I'm not just going to leave you there. In our song tonight, we sang a lyric, and you probably did not think through this one, right? I think we think through the lyrics of... If creation obeys you, so will I. We think about obedience in our lives, right? Like how I need to obey God. But this was a lyric that I don't know if you truly thought of. Let me give it to you. We sang tonight, you spoke to the dark and fleshed out the wonder of light. Right? What is that? Like what are we singing? That God fleshed out, Sam, the wonder of light. Because I want to tell you, this is the first recorded miracle when God says, let there be light. Now I'm going to put it on the screen for you because we're a visual generation. The wonder of light means this. Light is the source of vision. Without it, we can't see a thing. 
Think about the wonder of light. They're quite literally, we see because we have light. That everything around us has to be lit up, has to be illuminated. Man, if you've ever tried to go to the bathroom in the dark at somebody else's house during a sleepover with no phone, you know how hard it is to walk through the dark. I can do it in my own house pretty well. But man, you try to do it in somebody else's house, you're stepping on Legos. Of course, at your age, it'd be weird if they still have Legos laying around. You're hitting your toe on the coffee table. You're bumping your knee. You can't see. If we turn these lights out, try to get out of here, we're going to have a hard time. We're going to be knocking each other over. We're going to be running into chairs. Literally, light is the source of vision. Not only that, light is the key to technology. It's how we talk to someone halfway around the world without a second's delay because light can circle the globe. I got a text message today from one of my coworkers in Turkey right now. When he hit sin, that message came through immediately. That's a miracle. Do you understand the day and age that we live in? That you can call somebody up really anywhere around the world right now and they can answer and there's no delay as you're talking back and forth. That's done because of technology. Light is the key to technology. Have you ever thought about these things being a miracle or do you just exist in the world around you? I mean, we're on number two. I got a lot more. Have you ever thought about every single day that you wake up and see the sun, you have a miracle in front of you? And it's because God fleshed out the wonder of light. Now we get to enjoy its benefits. Let me keep going or we're going to be here all night. Light is the first link in the food chain. No photosynthesis equals no food. Light is the basis of health. The absence of light causes everything from vitamin D deficiency to depression. Thank goodness for daylight savings time. We need some sun right about 6 and 7 o'clock. I don't want to leave Shelby Farms at 5 o'clock. It's depressing. Huey's is better later in the night. Amen. Amen. We got loud for that. We got to get loud for the word. Not only that, light is the origin of energy and the measuring stick for space time. And if you understand that, explain it to me afterwards. But a meter is defined as the distance traveled by light. There's more. These are just the ones that could fit on my notes. I got one quote I want to give you that's really cool. In 1925, scientists discovered that the universe is still expanding. The author I'm reading said this. His name's Mark Batterson. He said, the four words spoken by God are still creating galaxies at the outer edge of the universe. We just sang that a moment ago. Four words. And the result of God saying four words is an ever-expanding universe that measures at least 93 billion light years in diameter. I love he ended with this. If God can do that in four words, what are we worried about? Can I get an amen tonight? A hundred billion galaxies. Growing and expanding. When God says something, it keeps growing, it keeps moving, it keeps happening. Right? God says, let there be light. There's still expansion. Now, guess what? Apply that to the gospel. God said, take the gospel to the nations. 2,000 years later, it's still expanding. The kingdom is still growing. In Africa, the gospel is booming right now. Growing. The gospel is on fire right now. People are getting saved. The wonder of light. That's what we, I mean, did you ever think there's that much? And this is just a dot of what is in a lyric such as God fleshed out the wonder of light. That when he said, let there be light, a whole lot more just happened than somebody clicking a light bulb. <laughs> it's a miracle. The universe is telling us a story about God. And that story is that his words have power because his word is power. Psalm 18 verse 28 says this, Lord, you light my lamp. My God illuminates my darkness. And then if you take this beautiful idea of God saying, let there be light, take this idea in the Old Testament of my God illuminates my darkness, 
When David's in the cave, when he's surrounded by enemies, he's not afraid because he has the light of God. And then you look at the New Testament, Jesus puts a stamp on it, puts his foot down by the massive statement we studied a year ago by saying John 8, verse 12, I am the light of the world. Anyone who follows me will never walk in the darkness, but will have the light of life. College students, does that truth lead you to worship? I began hearing that at 21 years old, and my heart broke. Does that truth do anything to your heart to lead you to worship? Because, man, I can hear some of you, because I used to be in your spot. I can hear some of you saying, Daniel, that's amazing. What does this mean for me personally? Besides the fact that you and I depend on light every day. Let me pose it to you this way. Our planet is spinning on an axis right now at 1,000 miles an hour, and none of us are dizzy. Isn't that crazy? You ever been on a cruise ship or a small ship in the ocean? You get dizzy real quick. The earth is spinning 1,000 miles right now, and we're not dizzy. I'll, I'll, I'll expand on it. Did you know that the earth, this is crazy, is speeding through space 67,000 miles an hour? I'm, no, I'm serious. I'll take it one step further. In one day, we travel 1.6 billion miles. So if you feel like you're not going anywhere in life, you went 1.6 billion miles. Congratulations. Nice. And that's if you don't even get out of bed. The bed's rotating too. One of the books I'm reading quoted it by saying this, and I think this is so good. It was convicting to me. I hope that it challenges you. He said, when was the last time, and it's kind of funny, when was the last time you thanked God for keeping us in orbit? I'm guessing never. Why? Because God is so good at what he does, we take it for granted. Never once have I knelt and prayed, Lord, I wasn't sure we'd make the full rotation today. <laughs> but you did it again. <laughs> I think that's so good. Because our universe is telling a story. It is revealing a truth. And that is that creation demands a creator. And our creator is a lot larger than you and I, a lot larger than this planet, a lot larger than our galaxy. What are we so worried for? Let me apply this to you in 2023. This is why we're called not to worry. Let's get practical for a minute. We talked a lot about science. We looked at lyrics. We looked at God's word. Let me give you something here. This is why we're called to not worry. A posture of worry is the opposite of a posture of worship. And bro, I know we got worriers in the room. <laughs> Like, don't look so holy. Like, man, I don't really worry, Pastor. I just trust God. Like, okay. <laughs> All right, let something fall apart. Let your car break down. Let, let's, let you get a call from the hospital. I'm serious. Let, get a call that a family member is having a hard time. Like, it's, it's real easy to say, man, I trust God when we're on the mountaintop. But all of us go through valleys, Jalen. Every single one of us goes through a valley. And we're tempted to worry. But a posture of worry is the opposite of a posture of worship. Worship says, man, I'm bound to God. He has it in his hands. Worry says, God's not the answer. I got to find a different way. <laughs> worry says, I got to figure this out myself. That's what worrying says. That's why we're called in Scripture not to worry. Because each time that you and I give in to worry, which is not talked about enough, we are bowing down to the enemy. He wants us to be afraid and to not live in trust to the Lord. Worry is a sure sign that the enemy is having some sort of stronghold in your heart because God is the God of peace. And if God is the God of peace, why aren't Christians the people of peace? 
I would say it's because we, me including me, are not walking close enough to the God of peace. That's why we still have a lot of worry and anxiety. Jesus said this before saying to his disciples that he was the way, the truth, and the life. He said this in John 14, verse 1. He said, don't let your hearts be troubled. John 14, 1. He said, don't let your hearts be troubled. That's worry and that's anxiety, right? Don't let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. Paul lays it out as clearly as possible in Philippians chapter 4. He says in verse 6 and 7, don't worry about anything. Don't worry about anything, but in everything, through prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds. In Christ Jesus, you and I aren't spinning the earth. We're not making this thing go 1.6 billion miles a day. But God is. We're not sustaining the breath in somebody else's lungs, but God is. So what are you and I worried for? I heard a story of a man named Brandon Hatmaker. He shared the story the first time he went to Ethiopia. And it's an incredible story. It's short. I'll give it to you very quickly. Deforestation has devastated parts of Ethiopia because generation after generation continues to cut the trees down. They continue to um, strip the forest bare. And Brandon, he went down there as a part of a uh, reforestation effort, right, to restore the forest was their goal because it had devastated Ethiopia so bad. And when he got on the plane, he started having second thoughts. I read this story today or yesterday. He started having fear of flying the minute he got on the plane. It started hitting him. He started having fears of leaving his family behind for this trip, and then he started to wonder if he'd even make a difference in going to Ethiopia, Right, and as soon as you begin to obey God, the enemy just starts flooding your mind with doubts and worries. Right, the minute you say yes, the enemy is like, "All right, I gotta, I gotta get on this. I gotta stop him or her from obeying God." He starts hearing all those thoughts from the enemy. Here's what happens: He started thinking about getting out of the trip, and then he prays. He said, "God, I'm sorry. I'm trying, but I don't get it. I don't want to be on this plane. I feel like I'm wasting time and money. If this is important to you." Then help me overcome my ignorance, my doubt, and my blindness. Show me what I'm missing. The story goes this way. He finishes praying, and immediately as he does, a 30-something Ethiopian sitting close to him asked him why he was going to Ethiopia. And Brandon, for whatever reason, simply said this, to plant trees. And he looks over in the the elderly woman sitting next to this man starts breaking down in tears, starts crying. And she stands up and puts her hands in the air. And now Brandon is sitting there, and he has no idea what's happening on this plane. And he asks the Ethiopian man, he said, hey, what's going on? What's happening? The Ethiopian man told Brandon this. This is my mother, and she's been praying for 38 years that God would forgive her people for stripping their land. She's also been praying for 38 years for God to send someone to plant trees. Isn't that crazy? The woman laid her hands on Brandon and prayed a prayer of blessing over him. Brandon didn't know why God was calling him to plant trees in Ethiopia. He said, I'm wasting time and I'm wasting money. But what he didn't know is that this woman had prayed 38 years for God to send someone like him before he was ever even born. The last thing Brandon said in this story is that he realized his view of God was simply not big enough. Can anybody else relate? Is your view of God accurate or is it a small, small view of who he is? 
If he was speaking, let there be light before you and I were ever born. Do you believe him enough to trust him with your everyday life, with your worries? With if you're on a plane to Ethiopia, you know God has you going there for a reason. If you're in your car tomorrow morning on your way to class or work, you know you're headed there for a reason. Because he has a plan and it's active and it's moving you forward for his glory. He's a big God. Number two, though, not only the story that our universe is telling, but number two, the glory that our universe is pointing to. That our universe is telling a story that is revealing to us there's a creator. But more than that, there's a specific revelation happening all around us. That our creator is not some distant, far off Lord, but he is a close, personal God who is desiring you to know him and bring him glory. So the glory that our universe is pointing to, Psalm chapter 8, let's look back at it in verse 3. David says, when I observe your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you set in place, what is a human being that you remember him? A son of man that you look after him. God is big, but God is also close. And I thank him that he is close. That we do not have a creator who is far off from his creation. We have a creator who is involved. We have a creator who cares, that is intimate with us, that looks out for us, that calls us to him, that allows us to be a part of a plan, Anila, that we get to be a part of something special. I love this quote by A.W. Tozier about God's proximity to us. This is an amazing quote. You can take a picture of it if you want. Tozier says that God is above but he's not pushed up. He's beneath, but he's not pressed down. He's outside, but he's not excluded. He's inside, but he's not confined. And then this is one of the clearest definitions I've heard about God's proximity. Tozer says, God is above all things presiding, beneath all things sustaining, outside of all things embracing, and inside of all things filling. Our worship must be based on this truth that all of creation is pointing to God, a specific God, Yahweh, pointing to the cross of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. The image of the invisible God has been made known that God has come in the form of man, paying the price for your sin and mine, resurrecting from the grave, fully God, fully man, that Jesus has made himself known. Revelation 4 Verse 11 says this, Our Lord and God, you are worthy to receive glory and honor and power because you have created all things, and by your will they exist and were created. And then Revelation 5, I shared this with our leaders a moment ago, verse 13 says, I heard every creature in heaven on earth, you think about what we sang tonight, under the earth and on the sea, and everything in them say, blessing and honor and glory and power be to the one seated on the throne and to the Lamb forever." And ever. God is close to you no matter what the enemy is saying. I have a picture that I believe will come up on the screen. It's, be, it's of Dakota and Skyler at our wedding. Yeah, hallelujah. Praise the Lord. A godly marriage. We'd love to see it. Yeah. As I was preparing the final touches for this message, I really felt led to share a little bit more of what I talked about at their ceremony. Many of you know our story. A lot of y'all know me and Dakota met when I was 18 years old and he was 13 years old. It's a really cool God story. He was a basketball player in the eighth grade at Elmo Park Middle School, and I was a freshman at Southwest. And, man, I wanted to get my foot in the door in coaching, so I started coaching basketball. And I started, that's where I met Sean, I met Stevie, I met a lot of guys in here through that. Like, we have guys in here tonight that I met 10 years ago because of coaching. Dakota's one of them. 
I met him 10 years ago. And our first true moment of interaction, right, like the first moment we really truly interacted with each other is so funny because I was getting on him. Like we had just gone through a drill in practice. And to be honest, man, this is where I can be real honest. Dakota was just going through the motions, man. He wasn't serious about it, right? Like he had been tired, man. He was just kind of lackadaisical about it. And he wasn't there. The thing about Dakota, though, is he's a left hand. He's got a really good shot. And even as an eighth grader, he was pretty strong. In high school, if he didn't play football, he could have made out to be a really good basketball player, but he ended up going to football. He had a really good touch. He was smart. Didn't have the height. He's only 5'11", six foot maybe with shoes. He would argue if he was here tonight. He'd say 6'4". He was a good ball player when he tried, and he was a good kid. And so we had just got done with that drill, and we were in a layup line getting ready for the full practice. I say, Dakota, come over here. And you know Dakota. I'm like, no. <laughs> I mean, I can see it to this day, man. He just lugged him shoulders over, head down. And I come over, I say, come here. And this is one of my first coaching moments. Like, I'm trying to find my groove, man. I'm trying to prove myself. I'm trying to be cool, but I'm also trying to be kind to the kids, man. I'm like, I know I'm here for a reason. So I call him over, I say, Dakota. I put my hand on his shoulder. Why? I don't know. But I just put my hand on his shoulder. It was a lot easier back then. He didn't have all the muscles. I said, Dakota, this is what I said to him. If you were at the wedding, you heard this. I said, do you know why I'm so hard on you? Why we're so hard on you? Why we're pushing you? Like, do you know why I'm hard on you? 13 years old. I'm 18. I'm a freshman. And he goes, nah. (laughs) Just like that. And this is what I tell him. I tell him, I say, I have no idea why I said this. I wasn't even saved yet. I didn't know the Lord. I just said to him, I said, Dakota, I'm hard on you because you could be something special. I said, you could be something special. Now, in my mind, I was thinking about a high school basketball player. But I was also thinking about how, as a kid, he had character. He had a genuineness to him. He had a kindness to him. And I thought about him as a leader. What I was telling him when I said, man, you could be something special, is that he could be a special leader one day. And then... He responded. That's the great thing about Dakota that a lot of players miss, that a lot of college students miss when they're coached, when they're pushed. Like he said, yes, sir. And he went back, shoulders back, went through the layup line. Like, and since that day, for 10, 11 years now, 11 years this August, that happened. For 11 years, he's responded like that every single day whenever he's coached or pushed towards the Lord. And the first gospel conversation I ever had with him was in 2016. I had been saved for six months, got saved at a public park, And I sat in a Wendy's parking lot with him talking about Jesus. And he heard it, and he listened, and he nodded his head, but he didn't get it here or here yet. And then a year later, he comes to Beach Week, gives his life to the Lord truly, right? He heard the pastor say something, that people twist scripture to fit their lifestyle. He had a lot of buddies that were smoking marijuana, a lot of guys that were smoking marijuana with him. And they would justify it. They were like, man, we're not doing anything bad. And then Dakota heard him at Beach Week say, man, like people will twist scripture to fit their lifestyle. And Dakota realized that's exactly what he was doing. And he gives his life to the Lord. I got to be there for his baptism. I was there in that moment. And then in 2018, in January, he started getting disciple, became a leader at The View, and the rest is history. And I'll fast forward now. I think about this moment right here because just moments before, I got to share that story. I got to tell him, hey, 10 years ago, I got to tell you that you could be something special. And what's so cool for me is seeing that over those 10 years, what it means to be special is not being a leader. It's not being a basketball player. It's not being light. I realize that for 10 years, God has been writing a story that has nothing to do with mine and Dakota's friendship. We're not always great friends to each other. We don't have the best friendship at times. We don't. We get on each other's nerves. 
what I realized is that God's writing a story that really has nothing to do with me in Dakota. That every single thing that's happened over the last 11 years has been for me to give my life to the Lord, for him to give his life to the Lord so that he can lead a godly marriage, so that he can lead a godly family one day, so he can die and not be remembered, but Jesus Christ will be remembered through his legacy. But at 18 years old, I couldn't see that, Lord. I couldn't see that that's the story God was writing. All I thought was, I need to encourage this kid. And all he thought was, I need to listen. Years pass by, you start to see God's hand in every detail. I tell you that because right now you are in the middle of your story. You are in the middle of the story that God is writing in your life. And you have no idea how big he is. That some of the relationships you have 10 years down the road, what you're going to be thinking about is how, man, we get to glorify the Lord together. It's not about us. It's not about being great friends and all those things and great leaders. It's about knowing God and making his glory known through us. Why? Because if the stars were made to worship, so will my friendships. If the stars were made to worship, so will my career. If the stars were made to worship, so will my future family and marriage. If the stars were made to worship, so will the words out of my mouth. If the stars were made to worship, so will my actions. And if the stars were made to worship, so will my heart. What story are you in right now? What story are you in with the people in your life, your neighbors, your loved ones? God's writing it. And if you obey, if you follow him, I'm telling you, I promise you, years will come down the road. You'll be 28, 29 years old, 30 years old, and you'll look back, and you'll see all through your 20s, all through your 20s, that God was faithful to you even when you weren't faithful to him. That he brought people along the way to worship with you. That he brought people along the way to encourage you and strengthen you and tell you. If you don't know Jesus, he's put people in your life to tell you about Jesus Christ. And if you do know him, you are the hands and feet of Jesus. You get to share his truth, too. There's a story our universe is telling. There's a glory that our universe is pointing to. And number three, the purpose that our lives are made for. The purpose that our lives are made for. David said in verse 1, Lord, our Lord, how magnificent is your name throughout the earth. You have covered the heavens with your majesty. What is a human being that you look after him? You and I have a purpose with our lives to live out at 18, 19, 20, 23, 24, 28 years old. And that purpose is to make him known. It's an amazing thing to think that through creation, through the birds and the stars, God has revealed his nature and who he is. But that specifically, he revealed himself in a special way. That he came down to this earth in the form of Jesus Christ to die for your sins. And I'm talking about that sin on your brain that haunts you. That struggle, that darkness you can't seem to get rid of. That, that depresses you, that drains you, that destroys you. That's how it works with sin. It depresses you, it drains you, and ultimately it's trying to destroy you. That Jesus died overcoming that sin. That you might have freedom. Not to just be in a church and look christian -y and hold your hands up. Those are great. And I pray we all lift our hands up to the Lord. But that your heart would be lifted to the Lord. 
that he died for that reason, to have your heart and for you to have him, to have Jesus. They tortured him, they beat him, and they nailed his hands and his feet to the cross, and he lifted up his spirit, paying your penalty. Three days later, raising from the dead, being victorious. That's why the last song in that So Will I, that last lyric in the So Will I song, says if you left the grave behind you, so will I. 